the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. And hope does not disappoint. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love, God's love has been poured into our hearts. He loves us and we can love him back. And we're not aliens and strangers. We are children of God and of children heirs because of what God has done for us, what's been accomplished for us through Jesus Christ, what God has provided for us, love. Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We're so thankful you've joined us for today's program, and we encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be picking up in part two of Pastor Keith's message, What Does It Mean to Be Saved? from the Book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 5. What does it mean to be saved? You know, we live in an era where people, it's a post-Christian era. Uh, most people are unchurched. And that point was driven home for me recently. Terry and I were on vacation and we were in Patmos or Patmos. And that's the island where John wrote the book of Revelation. And we were standing outside what they think is the cave of the apocalypse where he received that vision. And then this group of people, there was a lady, she was Asian, and I believe she was Buddhist. And she asked the tour guide, who self-identified as a Christian, who was a professing Christian, a very basic question about the Christian faith. And as the tour guide struggled to answer her question, I understood what the tour guide was saying. I got it. But I could tell that the Buddhist lady didn't. And I was reminded, as I was also thinking about this sermon and thinking about you and thinking about the church in America, we have almost developed, as we mature in Christ and as we grow in our faith, a second language. And because we do live in what is, in fact, a post-Christian era, a lot of times we assume when we're talking about the gospel, we're explaining or sharing our faith, that people know what we're talking about. But today, words like under the blood... That doesn't mean anything to people. Or saved, or born again, or penal substitutionary atonement, or a lot of times, you know, a lot of times we talk about asking Jesus into our hearts and we know what we mean, but people are just mystified. It just doesn't make sense to them. And I guess in a way that's the bad news. Our our culture, Western civilization has sort of broken loose from its Christian moorings. But the good news is this, too. There is good news in all this, and that is this, is that people are still searching. God has created in every person a void in in the shape of God, and only he can fill it. And we also not only live in a post-Christian era, but a post-modern era, where human wisdom and absolutes, as the world used to know it, have been rejected. And people are open to discussing almost anything. It's almost like Mars Hill in the book of Acts. And so people are still searching, people are still hurting, 
And people are still trying to find meaning. And people are still asking spiritual questions. And all you and I have to do, because salvation, after all, is a God thing, is to be faithful to give simple answers that they can understand. And so today, what I'd like to do is to look into Romans chapter 5 and distill for us three simple descriptions of what it means to be saved. So when somebody walks up to you and says, what does saved mean? You can tell them. You can tell them in a, in a tweet, in a soundbite, in a text, in an email. If anybody still uses email, no, I'm just kidding. Or Facebook posting or an instant message because we live in a soundbite society where you don't have a lot of time. You might just have 140 characters on your Twitter page to, 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 to begin a conversation or to pique their interest. And I think the best place to do this is in the book of Romans. Because the book of Romans is all about salvation. And the book of Romans is Paul's magnum opus. It is his chief theological achievement where he tells you and me and everybody who wants to know everything we wanted to know about Christianity, but maybe we're afraid to ask. And so we have the book of Romans. And, and if, if you're not there already, please turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read it again and emphasize a couple of key phrases. But as you're turning, let me give you some background on the book of Romans. It was written by the Apostle Paul to Romans, Christians in Rome. It was written to introduce himself to them because they had not met him. He had not been there. They may have heard about him. And it was also written to remind them perhaps of what they already knew. The gospel. To remind them about Christ. To remind them of what they have trusted in. And to maybe even as he talks about, you know, give them an additional spiritual gift or blessing. And to expand their understanding of the Christian faith. And that's what Romans does. Romans chapter 1, we have that great phrase, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but it is the power of salvation to those who believe the Jew first and also to the Greek. We have that great sentence, the just shall live by their faith. In Romans chapter 2 and chapter 3, we're reminded that everybody needs a Savior, whether they are a Jew who first received you know, the law of God, the oracles of God, the word of God, or the Greek. And it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans chapter 4, we learn about salvation by faith. It's not something we do for ourselves. It's not something we earn. It's not something we buy. And it's not something we inherit. And he, and he tells us about salvation by faith through the story of Abraham. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And then we move right into Romans chapter 5, where we're going to spend some time today. And we learn about the benefits of salvation. And in learning about the benefits of salvation, we understand more clearly what salvation is. And it's here, I think, we can distill three sound bites, three descriptions that you can use to at least start a conversation and to maybe clear up some misunderstanding about Christianity maybe being a religion of rules or something like that. So let me just kind of go back through Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And I want you to listen for some key concepts and key words like, through him or through Christ or has been done for us or have received or reconciliation or peace or or saved. Listen for those and we'll see what God has done for us so that we can describe it to other people in a way, in a clear cut and compelling and crystal clear way that they can wrap their minds around. Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained also access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope and of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Some translations say hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, some translations say while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So, when somebody asks you, What does saved mean? The first description you might want to give them is this. Saved means peace with God. Saved means peace with God. And where do we see this? We see this in the opening verse of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and you could say saved by faith, made righteous by faith, or made righteous by God through faith, we have what? Peace with God through Jesus Christ. Saved means peace with God. Now, some people may say, now, wait a minute. I didn't know I was at war with God. But we were. You and I were. Before Christ, we were at war with God through our indifference to his will and through our outright opposition to the gospel. In fact, it shouldn't be a surprise to most of us because in Ephesians 2, 3, the Bible describes us without Christ as those who were excuse me, Ephesians 2, 2, sons of disobedience. And Ephesians 2, 3 describes us of those who are by nature children of wrath. And in James 4, 4, we're reminded that friendship with the world, which is where we were before we were Christians for the most part, is hostility with God. And even in, Ro- in, the, in the near context of Romans five ten, we are described as enemies, people who are enemies of God. There were hostilities between us. We were opposed to God's kingdom. We were against him. In essence, being in conflict, we waged war with God and his will. And being holy and just and good and loving and righteous, he made war with us. But through Christ, through Christ, there has been brought about a cessation of hostilities. And when you think about it, I'm sort of a history buff, and I particularly history of war and things like that, World War II in particular, and other, other conflicts. When two uh, combatants come together on the battlefield, when two armies line up, there's sort of a no-man's land between them. 
And anyone or anything that gets into that no man's land gets shot to pieces. There's a gulf between them that you really can't cross unless peace has been made. And you and I, all of us, separated ourselves from God through our indifference or our opposition to what he would have us do and how he would have us be. We were cut off, we were separated from him. And through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, he paid a debt that we ourselves could not and would not pay. He brought reconciliation. And that's why saved means peace with God. And that peace with God goes beyond not getting shot at. It has peace of mind, peace in the trial. It it, it takes all kinds of forms. But it also has to do with the cessation and ending of hostilities. We're no longer far off, cut off from him. We're brought near. And you see that in verses 2 through 5 with the benefits that this peace brings. Peace with God brings us four benefits. First, it brings us access to God. You see that in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're no longer far away. We're children of God. We have access to him. We can come boldly before the throne of grace based on what Jesus has done for us. We can cry out to him in prayer when things are going wrong. We can enlist his aid when we don't know what to do. We can ask for wisdom. We can pray for others. We have access to him. There is no wall between us. We are part of his family. I mean, think about this. 7.4 billion people in this world. And when you cry out to God, when you pray to God, when you talk to God, and that's what prayer is, talking to God, the sovereign king of the universe inclines his ear to listen to you. I don't know about you, but I can't even get in to see the mayor. But God, we've got access to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through the peace that has been made for us. And that's the first benefit of that peace. The second one is hope for the hopeless. You see that also in verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now that word uh, hope speaks to an anticipation. You were no longer fearful. I don't know about you, but before I was a Christian, I used to fear death. Because I knew, you know, sooner or later, that's one thing everybody has in common, no matter where they come from, we're all going to die. And I knew I was far from God. There was something in me. There's that void that God created in me in the shape of God, and I knew I was far from God. And I did not look forward to standing before him at the end of my life. I might have pretended like he didn't exist. I might have acted like he was irrelevant, but I knew. I knew. But through peace with God, we have hope. We look forward. We anticipate the glory of God. You know, in Psalm 1, it says that sinners can't stand in the presence of God. They can't stand in the assembly. But we can because of what Christ has done for us. He's made peace with God for us. He's closed the no man's land. He has reconciled us. He has written, completed, and fulfilled a peace treaty between us and his Father in heaven. And access and hope brings us something else, a third benefit, and that is perspective. Perspective. You see that in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And that hope does does not put us to shame because God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts. 
once you have access to God, once you have anticipation of seeing him, once you're part of his family, once there is peace between you and God, you have a, an eternal perspective. You don't look at your life the same way. I remember when I was first saved, the sky was greener, the bluer, the grass was greener. But also as I grew in Christ and as I read his word, I began to look at the hardships in my life differently. I had an eternal perspective. I came to understand that no matter what happens to me, I need to see and understand that God is working in my life. And I developed a Romans eight twenty eight. all things work together for good perspective. You know, and, and like it says in James, you know, count it all joy. It doesn't mean it is joyful when you're having a hard time or suffering loss. But consider it all joy whenever you encounter, not if, whenever you encounter various and sundry trials, knowing, like they know here, the testing of your faith produces endurance. God is at work in your lives. When you have peace with God, you're not abandoned, you're not on your own. God is there. And even what men or women or people or situations or circumstances mean as evil against you, God intends for good, to bring about a good and saving and growing result. And that's the perspective we have. We can decode this world in which we live, this fallen, broken world. We can see it through the lens of eternity. We can see it through the lens of Scripture. The love of the Holy, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. We understand the Word of God. We can apply it. And we have perspective. The fourth benefit that peace with God brings is love. And you see that in verse 5. And hope does not disappoint. Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts. He loves us. And we can love him back. And we're not aliens and strangers. We are children of God and of children heirs because of what God has done for us, what's been accomplished for us through Jesus Christ, what God has provided for us, love. I mean, that's an incredible thing. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 19, we read this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have what? Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. That's an incredible thing. That's, and that's what peace, that's what salvation, that's what being saved means. Peace with God. And peace with God brings you access that you lacked. It brings you hope that you didn't know. It brings you a perspective that you didn't have. And it brings with it a love that you've never experienced before because no one, no one can love you like God who did not even spare his son for you. Who did not even hesitate to spare his son. So salvation means peace with God. So somebody asks you, what does saved mean? You talk about saved. I hear Christians talking about saved. What does it mean? It means peace with God. Peace with God. Peace with God. And it also means something else. It comes to our second description, our second, our second tweet, our second soundbite. When somebody asks you what saves mean, what saved means, explain to them that saved means provision from God. Saved means provision from God. I'm reminded that there are only two religions in the world. We think of millions and millions of religions, but there are only two. There is the religion of human achievement. You do things for God, you earn his favor. 
takes many forms, has many denominations. Islam, Buddhism, Mormonism, whatever. And there is the, the religion of divine achievement, which is Christianity. What God has done for us. What God has provided for us through Jesus Christ. Now, we have our denominations too. But there are only two religions. And saved means provision from God. We can't earn his love. We can't buy his love. We can't stack up enough good works to get ourselves a stairway to heaven or whatever. And you see this provision implied in verse 5. It's there implicitly. And you find it explicitly laid out for you in verses 6, 7, and 8. In verse 5 we read this. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. It doesn't say we poured God's love into our hearts. It's been done to us or for us. That's provision. Through the Holy Spirit who we grabbed for ourselves. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Who has been provided for us. God provides everything that we need in salvation. We don't bring anything to the table. And that's where you see that implicit there. And then explicitly, we see it in verses 6, 7, and 8. Because you're going to say, well, salvation, being saved, means peace with God. Being saved means provision from God. And somebody's going to say, well, why did you need provision? Why did God have to provide for you? Weren't you good enough? You're a good person. And verses 6, 7, and 8 remind us that we were unable, unworthy, and unwilling to obtain this. And so God had to provide it. In verse 6, we're told we were unable. It says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We lack the ability to save ourselves. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're unable to save ourselves. No human can save us, and we're unable to save ourselves. Think of it this way. In 2006, we had a financial crisis, right? The housing bubble bursted. I think in, one, in, 19, in 2006, there were 1.25 million foreclosures. People who were able to hang on to their houses were underwater. They owed more than the house was worth. They were upside down in their mortgages. And they needed a bailout because they couldn't do it themselves. Well, that's what Christ has provided for us. We were underwater in our sin debt. We had made a mess. We had, God had given us a perfect world. Humanity broke it. He gave us a perfect relationship with him. We destroyed it. And there was nothing we could do to restore ourselves. And so he provided for us in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. What we could not provide for ourselves. He paid the sin debt. He reconciled us to God. He wiped the books clean. Because we were unable to. The second reason that God had to provide for us. If someone asks you. Is the fact that we were unworthy. You see that in verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.